Well, in July of this year, his uh, story made the news again. His name is Rafael Lozano, but he goes by the name of Winter. This is him right here. And uh, he is a man on a mission. His story went viral in 2006, then again in 2014, but it began long before that. His quest began in 1997 when he decided it was his life's mission to visit document and have a caffeinated beverage from every Starbucks on the planet. He calls his plan Starbucks Forever or or Starbucks Everywhere or Starbucking. And to date, he has visited 14,664 stores. Now, there are rules that go along with this. Self-imposed requires him to drink a coffee at every store, so he usually asks for half a cup, and he says he has kind of gotten tired of the taste of it, but Starbucks, he says Starbucks is his life. I, he says, I can't foresee stopping. It's too rewarding of an experience. Today, he's 46 years old. And he's taking computer programming contractor assignments that allow him to travel freely, sleeps in his car, which makes this task his mission, uh, traveling easier. And, but he's starting to think about what the next chapter of his life looks like now that he's spent a little over $150,000 on Starbucking. Think about it. $150,000 and 21 years. When you get to the end of your next 21 years and $150,000, let me ask you, what will you find that you've centered your life around? What will be the purpose? When you look back, what will have been the purpose that drives your life and resources? Or let me ask it this way. If you get where you're going, where will you be? That's a fair question, I think. If you get where you're going, where will you be? In Lewis Carroll's classic, Alice in Wonderland, Alice meets the Cheshire cat, and she says, would you tell me, please, the way I ought to go from here? And the cat smiles and says, well, that depends a great deal on where you want to get to. And Alice said, well, I don't much care. <laughs> to which the cat says, then it doesn't much matter which way you go. Oh, but I want to get somewhere. Oh, well, you're sure to get somewhere, right? You're sure to get somewhere. And you're, you're going to get somewhere. The question is, if you get where you're going, where will you be? That's the question this morning. What gives direction to your life? What gives your life purpose? Now, we've been studying the uh, letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. He started a lot of churches. This isn't one of them. As a matter of fact, never met the folks who uh, go to this church. He's under arrest in Rome. His friend, who is a Jesus follower, whose name is Epaphras, uh, is the one who started this church. And he has brought to Paul, he's come to see Paul in prison because there's something troubling happening in this church that he started. And, and through Paul's influence in his life, and now he's influencing others, but there are false teachers who have moved into this church and are beginning to lead people away from Jesus. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at Paul addressing the gospel's effectiveness in the lives of the people in Colossae because they trusted the gospel. And so Paul is saying, you've trusted the gospel and look at how it has changed you. By the way, us too today, if we trust the gospel, it will change our lives. Next, he talked about the supremacy, that there's nothing 
bigger, greater than Jesus, and you don't need anything but Jesus, the, the supremacy and sufficiency. You don't need anything but him. And then last week, he reminds us not only that Jesus lives inside of us, but he talked about why that's a big deal, what, what Jesus living inside of us, what difference that makes. And so listen, if you're here this morning, you missed any of those messages, I want to encourage you, please go to our website and check those out. And uh, by the way, if you're joining us online this morning, thank you for doing that. Now, one of the things we know is that before people come here, many times they check us out online. Maybe, maybe it's one of your friends this morning because you've been inviting them to come with you and they've asked you what we're like, and maybe you said, well, why don't you go online and just check it out? And maybe they're watching this message today because you've invited them and they're checking us out before they come here. So I hope you join your friend here in this room uh, sometime soon. Uh, today's message, Paul is talking to the church then and today, to us today, to help us understand uh, the center of our purpose. And he talks about it right up, right off the bat in verses, in chapter two, uh, verses six and seven, he says, so then just as you receive Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Now I had a professor early on who told us that when you see the word therefore, you look to see what it's. Therefore, I, cheesy, I know it's horrible, but it's true, okay? When you see the word so then, it's just kind of like it says therefore. You have to look to see why those words uh, are there. So because he started this word, the section uh, so then, we're looking back to the passage that just precedes it. And so the so then relates to because we have submitted our lives to the authority of Jesus, and because the spirit of Jesus lives inside of our lives, so then, Paul says, continue, because of that, continue to live your lives in Jesus, center of your purpose. Here it is. By the way, we had a change late in the week uh, about this morning, and so I apologize. The notes are not on the handout. They are at the U version. If you've got the Bible app, go ahead and pull that up. All the notes are there. But if you're, if you're uh, writing on the back of your handout, if you would, write this down. My purpose, because I want to make sure you've got this. I am to live my life in Christ. This is it. This is what we're all about. This drives every, in the next 21 years and $150,000, if you look back and this is what you've done, I guarantee you will be a happy person, all right? I am to live my life in Christ. Undoubtedly refers all the way back to what Paul said in chapter one. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding and that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So Paul was saying this, your purpose in your life, he's talking to you today, but the apostle Paul is talking to you. And he's saying your purpose is to live your life in such a way that it honors Jesus as Lord, because they had accepted Jesus, not just as the savior, not just who saved them, but they've accepted him as Lord, which means he's calling the shots. He's the boss. He's the one who's giving their life direction and purpose. And because they believed in him and they put their trust in him, therefore, live your lives in such a way that it honors him as the Lord of your life. Not just on Sunday mornings for an hour, but every day you take this and live this. Listen, it's not enough for Paul to see people make a, a profession of faith in Jesus. As important as that was to him, 
Paul's ministry was way more than helping people become Christians. His ministry was about helping them mature to grow up in their faith, living out their faith in such a way that it honors Jesus, just like us today, about honoring Jesus, which is why we say here at MCC, the reason we exist, the reason we're even here on the planet is to help people begin and build their relationship with Jesus. Now, we want to be real clear because we can only help you do that. I cannot make you make that decision about who Jesus is going to be in your life. Nobody else can. You have to make that decision about who Jesus is in your life. And I also, listen, I can't make you grow. You are responsible for your growing in the faith, just like I'm responsible for me growing in my faith. And verse 7 talks about that. It starts with being, growing in our faith, starts with being rooted and built up. It's real interesting to me that Paul changes verb tenses in the middle of what he's saying. Uh, in the language that the New Testament was written in, which is the language of uh, Old Testament, is New Testament Greek, uh, Koine Greek, the word for rooted is a verb tense that means it was a one-time action that just stays. It's just, you do it one time, but it's good for the rest of your life. Okay, Your decision to make Jesus Lord of your life is a decision you make once, and then you, you, at, you operate out of that understanding. Okay, It's not something you keep doing. You make that once, and it roots you. It's all, by the way, this word rooted is also a reminder that Christians aren't supposed to be tumbleweeds blown by the wind from here and there, teachings blown from here. The word for build up is a verb tense that means it's an ongoing action. So rooted one time, built up, ongoing. It's an architectural term that means that we are being built on the foundation of Jesus and our spiritual progress continues to go up as we grow and mature in our understanding of him. The foundation is built. It stays the same. The building going up continues to change. So when we give our lives to Jesus, we're rooted in him and we continue to grow stronger. And as, our, uh, as we grow stronger and our roots grow deeper, we also grow up and our branches go out which, by the way, is an image right out of the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, doesn't stand in the way of sinners, and doesn't sit in the company of mockers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on God's law day and night. That person, check out verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's the picture Paul is painting of a Jesus follower, rooted and growing. Max Anders uh, said the Christian always grows by nutrition, not by addition. Nutrition. not So when we surrender to the lordship of Jesus, rather than finding ourselves, and I don't know what the picture that's been painted, maybe by your friends or something that you've heard, it's not some bleak, repressive existence. We actually discover meaningful and purposeful life, which is why Jesus said in John chapter 10, I've come that you might have life, and not just life, that you might have life to the full. And what's true of us as individuals is true of us collectively as well. Jesus has to be the all-sufficient reason and purpose for everything that we are and that we do here as a church. Jesus has to be at the center of all of that. Now, here's why it's important for us to find our purpose for life in Jesus. Uh, when I find my purpose, when, it's, when my purpose is centered in Jesus, I can recognize what is false. When, when you make that your center, when you understand that what Jesus says is true, then you measure everything else against that. Because I tell you, when you do this, when you center your life in Jesus, you are going to get pushback. 
from people that you know real well and from some people you've never met, will probably never meet, but they're going to try to influence you. Bruce Willis, uh, the actor Bruce Willis said this, organized religion used to hang the whole thing on one hook. If you don't do these things, if you don't act morally, you're going to burn in hell. Unfortunately, with what we know about science, anyone who thinks at all probably doesn't believe in fire and brimstone anymore. So organized religion has lost that voice to hold up their moral hand. Is that true or false? Uh, does heaven and hell exist or not? Because Bruce Willis would tell you it doesn't. And although I enjoy him as an actor, regardless of what Bruce Willis says, the question is, what does Jesus say? In John chapter 8, check out what Jesus said. Uh, not about heaven and hell, but about him. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I'm, we're just going to stop for a moment. i got to tell you something that drives me crazy. It drives me crazy when people half-quote Jesus. You ever heard a half-quote of Jesus? You ever heard this verse, verse 32, quoted all by itself? Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It starts with the word then. That means something important came ahead of it. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, not just you're going to know, if you hold to my teaching, if you know what it is and you live in it, then you will know the truth. That's when you know the truth. And the truth will set you free, which is why Paul writes in verses 8 to 10, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of, the, of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Just a reminder, because Paul's been talking about this since the beginning, that's the thrust of this letter. This whole letter is about false teachers trying to uh, dissuade them from the truth of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the word captive means to kidnap or to carry off as booty, which Ever since I've had a granddaughter, booty is just a funny word to say. But it means to kidnap or to carry off as uh, loot. Uh, Paul is talking to people who have already accepted Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And so in spite of what they know to be true, which Paul's talked about, is that Jesus is enough. You, if you've got Jesus, you don't need anything else. They were being lured away by a combination of philosophy and traditionalism, and legalism, and astrology, and asceticism. In other words, he's warning against those who derive wisdom from the powers of the universe, and astrology, and the reading of tarot cards, and psychics who claim access to secret wisdom. Now, we may be tempted to think those are innocent games because the tiny letters on the bottom of the television says this is for entertainment purposes only. Right? And so we look at that and we laugh and we think, yeah, it is. The Bible says it's evil, not harmless entertainment. It's influencing people. It's pulling them away from the truth. The word philosophy literally means the love of wisdom. By the way, wisdom in and of itself is not a bad thing. Paul, was a, he was a philosopher, but he's condemning this deceptive philosophy, a false wisdom. He he is, he's warning against the philosophy that's based on human tradition and the basic principles of the world. Again, in the original language, that phrase, basic principles of the world, kind of ambiguous. It can mean the ABCs of language, so the building blocks of language, how to speak. But it can also refer to the supernatural powers that many pagan religions believed preside over and control the heavenly bodies. 
And I just want to say, it wasn't just then. It's still today. Camp Quest West, just north of Sacramento, California, is not a church camp. It is designed for children of agnostics and atheists and free thinkers and humanists. And the mission of the camp is to promote respect for others with different viewpoints, values, and beliefs. It actually goes one step further and says it deplores efforts to seek to explain the world in supernatural terms and to look outside of nature for salvation. So the week-long experience, by the way, includes campfires and crafts and canoe trips. Sounds like a good week at camp. Along with sessions about evolution, the power of debate, and skepticism. Then camp director Rick Rohr says it's a vacation from Judeo-Christian culture. That's us. It's a vacation from us. Edwin Kagan adds, kids come here and they cry. They say it's the first time in their life that they're able to express that they don't believe in God. As a matter of fact, one of their goals stated on their website is to demonstrate atheism and humanism as a positive, family-friendly worldview. And the first camp quest was in 2006, and one of the campers, Andrew, said it's better than Boy Scout camp. Because when we were at Boy Scout camp, whenever we ate, we had to do a prayer, and it got annoying. The camp ends with what director Chris Lindstrom calls a competition for the kids to create their own religion that everyone can believe in, and that will be good for all, for all time. Create your own religion that is good for all, for all time. Listen, people will cloak false teachings in religious language. They will make what they're saying sound loving and compassionate. And they will call you, they will call you dense and intolerant for not listening, for disagreeing with them. But we have to make sure we do not give in to the slippery slope of worldly philosophy. Listen, many matters are open for opinion. But when the Bible addresses an issue specifically... We have to follow God's word, not the latest whim of pop culture. We look to him for the answer. Paul says that people will try to get you to believe teachings not based on Jesus. And listen, sometimes others will teach rules that listen, they believe these rules. Please don't, they're not, listen, they believe these rules, but they're just human traditions. When I was growing up, some of them were don't play ball on Sunday. Don't ever play cards because people will think you're gambling. Don't go to the movies. Don't dance. Don't sing with a guitar. And don't use a version of the Bible other than the King James Version. Those were rules we had in the church growing up. They didn't, by the way, did not come from the Bible. And now some would impose other rules, like you shouldn't have cable TV in your house because of what that brings into your house. So you shouldn't have it there. And, and don't go to Disney World because uh, they have a gay pride day. Now, Paul is saying recognize those are our rules, not God's rules. And while they may, may be wise to follow some of them for the benefit uh, of the consideration of other people, maybe, if they're laid down as law but they're not from Jesus, they can become false legalistic teachings. We make those rules up. And if we teach them as, as the truth of Jesus, we've just become legalistic in those teachings. And because, because false teachers were working to influence them, Paul reminded them that their faith was firm in Jesus. They weren't supposed to trust in any rival teaching. Anything contrary to the lordship of Jesus would be false. Likewise, our faith must be found on nothing less than Jesus. Actually, let me say it this way, nothing less and nothing else other than Jesus. Listen, I want to make sure you know this too. This is the other reason this is so important. 
When my purpose is centered in Jesus, I can have confidence. I want to make sure you know that. That's going to become very important here in a few minutes. I want to make sure you know you can have confidence. In verses 11 to 13, Paul writes, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your faith, of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Now, the Jewish people submitted to circumcision as an outward sign of their allegiance to God. It was a patriarchal system. Procreation of children was foundational to them becoming a great nation. And male circumcision, it symbolized their loyalty to the covenant that was established by God. I just want to say as an adult male, I'm so thankful for baptism. Uh, because Christian baptism also declares our allegiance to Jesus. But I want you to notice verse 12 says that while we are buried, while we're buried with Jesus in baptism, we are raised with him through faith. And so for those who, are, who wonder, uh, do we baptize infants here at MCC? We do not, and this is why. Because baptism is a decision that you make in response to recognizing your sin and what Jesus did on the cross. Because our baptism is a symbolic death and burial to the old self and a resurrection to new life in Christ. And the result of true and meaningful baptism is when I commit my life to Jesus and living in him, Here's where the confidence comes in. When I commit myself, listen, we're all born with this sin nature. We, we all have this struggle. Once we're old enough to distinguish between right and wrong, sometimes we are going to choose the wrong thing. Is it okay to say that in here? Are you comfortable with that? That there are times when you're struggling with right and wrong. Are you okay with admitting in church that sometimes you choose to do the wrong? Sometimes you choose the right thing, but sometimes you also choose the wrong thing. You okay with that? <laughs> so six people are okay with that, and the rest of us are going to wait to see what happens next. <laughs> we all choose at times the wrong thing. You sometimes choose the wrong thing. Sometimes I choose the wrong thing. Sometimes we choose the wrong thing knowing it's the wrong thing, and we choose it anyway because it's what we want. We all are born with a sin nature. It's the human condition that we have inherited. But listen to what Paul says again, picking up at the end of verse 13. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Two interesting words in verse 14. The first one is written code. Uh, written code was a word used by a debtor signing a paper acknowledging a debt. It's an IOU. IOU $10,000. IOU $100. Whatever it is, IOU. That's what that word means. Then the word for canceled means blotted or wiped out. In that day, ink had no acid in it. So when the scribes would write on the papyrus, it would sit on the surface for a while before it would stain it and then soak in. So there was this period in which if the scribe wanted to, if there was a good reason to, and he wanted to, he could take a wet sponge and just wipe it clean as if it had never been there. Like we do a whiteboard today. You just wipe it off. It's like it was never there. So Jesus not only wiped out our sins, 
but he blots out the Old Testament code with all of its regulations, which none of us are capable of keeping. None of us can keep all of them all the time. And so now our salvation, I hope you can hear this, it doesn't depend on us being good enough. It depends on Jesus loving us enough that he went to the cross and wiped out the debt that we had. You don't have to be good enough. Our life is to honor Jesus. We're to live in that way, but there's not a fear of not being good enough anymore. We can have confidence in that. A preacher named Roger Thorne from Phoenix, Arizona, had a 15-year-old son who died of AIDS. Contracted the disease at age five through a blood transfusion. And Roger said, I was always proud of Jeremy because he was a strong believer in Jesus. And he went through some really tough times in this process. But in the final days when he was wasting away just before he went into a coma, Roger said, I was sitting by his bed and I asked him, Jeremy, how are you doing? And he said, his son whispered, I'm okay, dad. Roger said, no, I, I don't mean how are you doing here. I mean how are you doing here. And he said that his eyes brightened up and he spoke in a voice stronger than he had heard him speak within months. And he said, Dad, I'm not afraid. Minutes later, he slipped into a coma and those would be his final words. Dad, I am not afraid. Roger said that Jeremy knew that he was going to die, but he believed so strongly in, in his saving Lord that he had hope of conquering death. And now that hope and that strength and that assurance sustained not just a 15-year-old boy going through the worst battle of his life. It now continues to sustain his mom and his dad for the years that follow because they know that Jesus triumphed over death. And so that confidence that we have is for our life here and for the life there. I tell you all that because yesterday, yesterday this, this room was full of people and teddy bears. And you need to know that Rich McKinley did a great job speaking to the people who were mourning the loss of a 17-month-old child. One reason we have hope that we have not seen the last of Logan is we have confidence that Jesus triumphed over death at the cross. So we know. We know we'll see him again because we don't have to be good enough to get there. Jesus loves us enough to get us there. And if you've come here today and you've never given your life to him, I had a young lady come up to me between services who said, you know, I grew up in the Catholic church and I was uh, sprinkled as a child, but I heard what you had to say today. And I've been thinking for a while now that I need, I, I, I need to be baptized uh, as an adult. And so we talked about that. And maybe you've come and you've been wrestling with that as well. And the decision was someone else's when you were an infant. And today you're going, you know, but I believe in who Jesus is. And I know this needs to be my decision to follow him. Or maybe you've come and you have no religious background. 
but you've been thinking about it lately. We'd love to help you with that. Please let us help you with that. And if you want to talk to me today, I'm going to be right down front after the service. I'll just stay down here. Uh, if you want to talk, I promise I'll stay and talk to you. I'd love to help you with that. But if you've come today and you've, you're already a follower of Jesus or you'd just like to know more about the church, because like, what kind of church is this? Next Sunday, I'm going to be teaching a class called First Step. It'll be at 930, so it's at the first hour. You can go to that and then you can come to worship. Uh, and I would love to have you there. We're going to talk about who we are as a church and what is it that we value and why do we do the things that we do. And, and so I hope that you'll join me uh, for that if you've not been through that. But for all of us in the room, regardless of where you are, can I ask you to do this thing that we're asking every week, so I'm going to ask it again this week, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. Those are the verses we looked at today. Would you read that? So write that down, Colossians 2, 6 uh, to 15. Read that four times. The first time, just kind of familiarize yourself with it. The second time, as you read through it, there are going to be words or phrases or a verse that will jump out at you. Pay attention to that. The third time, would you pray that to God as you're reading? Would you just prayerfully interact with it? And the fourth time, would you ask God to show you how he wants you to live this out in your life? Live your life in a way that honors Jesus. That's what we're talking about today. What does he want you to start doing? What does he want you to stop doing? What does he want you to continue doing? And then if you would, start writing that down. Keep track of what's changing. Because this will tell you how Jesus living in you makes a difference in how you live your life. As you look back, maybe in a week, maybe in a month, most likely in a year, to look back and see this is the difference that Jesus has made in my life. I want to encourage you to do that. Listen, there's no Gatorade commercial that said this. It's not where you're from, it's where you're going. And it's not what you drive, it's what drives you. It's not what's on you, it's what's in you. And it's not what you think, it's what you know. And I know that's not Bible, but the Apostle Paul could have written that just as well. It's not what you think. It's what you know. And it's not where you're from. It's where you're going. Why don't we go to God? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you encourage us. Thank you for Paul reminding us that there are people who will try to add to what we already know to be true about who Jesus is in our life that we don't need anything if we've got Jesus. Jesus is all we need. And we live our lives for him. So God, help us to be wise about that and to recognize that, that there may be some things that are helpful in life that our friends will tell us, and that's great. But the only thing we take as gospel is the gospel. And the only one we trust in is your son. So God, may we as your people honor you because of what we believe. May we honor you by what, how we live our lives every day. And thank you, Jesus, for loving us enough that you would give your life and cancel our debt and obliterate the fear of death by making a spectacle of it at the cross. We love you so much. And we want you to know that we want all of us to belong to you. And so we pray this. And we give you ourselves in the name of Jesus.